if you'd go ahead and open that Bible up to Jonah, Jonah chapter 2, that's where we're going to be today. It'd be a wonderful thing if you would do that. Just go ahead and look inside there, and you'll find where we're going to be today. This is another reason why we say uh, to our community that we want to have a Bible in every home in Nevada County. That's why you can't get the church, you can have a Bible in your home so you can read it and you can follow along and learn about God. So I just want to start out today by talking about what we're doing today about the series. So when I planned this series, when I first started out, I picked a title for today, and the title was that we would be looking at crying out for the rescue of mercy. But when I outlined it this week, when I got into it, I realized that while that's a great title for where we are today, there's even a better title. And so we'll be looking today at this idea, and it is this, what to do when you hit bottom. When we look at Jonah today, we're going to see a guy who literally hit bottom. And then he was able to respond in a way that I think you and I can learn from, especially as we face these unprecedented and the times we're in right now where there's so much disequilibrium, and that some of us really may feel like we're hitting a bottom right now, and we'd want to know what is it that we can do to have hope. Well, we can learn a lot from Jonah. So if you've been with us in the first two weeks of the series, you recall that Jonah is a prophet who was speaking for God to his people. Specifically, he was speaking to Jeroboam II. And he was speaking to Jeroboam, and he was talking about the things that God was saying. And it was basically saying that God was going to bless the nation. So he was in the prime spot of his life. He was in his prime, actually. And he was toward the end of his career, as we're looking at what's happening now. Things were looking great for him. He was secure. Scholars believe that he might have had wealth as well. In fact, when it says that he took a boat to Joppa, some scholars think that he actually bought the boat. And then he took that boat and a ride to Joppa to get away from God's calling. So he was basically waiting out for this moment when he could retire, and he was waiting out in comfort. Well, God spoke to him, and God said, I want you to go to the enemies of my people, and that would be the Assyrians, and I want you to speak to them, and I want you to call them to me. I want you to call them out of their atrocities, the things that they are doing to hurt people, and especially God's people of the day. So as Mark talked about last week, and a really great message that he did, Jonah got up and went the other way. We don't even know if Jonah even talked to God, prayed to God, you know, dealt with God, bartered with God, but he just got up, basically, and went the other way. And because of the Bible, we know that we can never be out of God's presence. So even though it says that he was running away from God, we know, according to the truths of this book, theologically, that we can never be out of God's presence because he is in all places. So we can just surmise from this but <clears throat> that what Jonah was doing right in here was he was trying to break relationship with God. He was so against what God had called him to do that he was willing to break his relationship with him and run away. So he chose to run. He got on this ship that was headed for this, uh, the opposite direction of Nineveh and headed for Joppa. And um, so what we learned last week is that God sent a great storm and was overwhelming the ship and the sailors. And Jonah was, as we heard, asleep in the hull of the boat. And what we learned from Mark last week we talked about is this. You can run from God, but you can't outrun God. You can run from him, but you can't outrun him. So I just want to let you in on a secret about that, and it's this. God already knows where you're going to run. 
He's already there. So you can't outrun him. We can run from God, but we can't outrun God because God is already where we're going to go. He's already there. And the good news is that when we run from God, what God does is God gets involved. He gets involved in our lives not to pay us back, but to bring us back. It's not punitive. He gets involved in our lives as a way to bring us back into relationship with him. And as we just sang about a moment ago, God relentlessly pursues us with his love. In this story, we see that God relentlessly pursued Jonah. And I'll just say this for all of us. God relentlessly pursues you and me. When we run from God, God doesn't let us go. And I think there's great hope in that, that as hard as we try, that God still doesn't let us go. He relentlessly pursues us. He loves us. As I said, not to pay us back, but to bring us back. So in our story, God didn't come to get even with Jonah or to punish Jonah. He came to bring Jonah back into relationship with him because that's God's desire for all of us as well, to be in relationship. God gets involved in our lives. Uh, and because we, we learn, we're going to see here is that God cares more about Jonah than Jonah cares about himself. Running from God will let you down, and it will take you down, is what we're going to see in just a few moments. So in order to bring Jonah back, God sent a storm to get Jonah's attention. The storm was so great that the story says the sailors had no other choice but to throw Jonah overboard, to get him off the ship, to do... Uh, and actually, this is something that Jonah begged them to do. Think about that. Jonah had rather die than do what called him, God called him to do. That's where he was at this moment in his place of relationship with God. But God's mercy that we just sing about is greater than our rebellion. And so he sends the storm to bring Jonah back to himself. Many of you may have heard of Charles Spurgeon. He was a famous, famous pastor in London. And this is what he says about this idea. He says, this is what the, um, some men are brought to God by gentle means. They are drawn by soft by soft, mighty bonds. Still a much larger class of person remains. They must not be handled softly, but must be dealt with heavily. The picklock will never open their hearts. There must be the crowbar or even the battering ram. You ever been in that classroom? I'm sure many of us have. Some hearts can never be captured for God and for truth except by storm. And that's what happened with Jonah. God sent the storm to him. And so last week, as Mark left us, dangling, Jonah has been thrown into the ocean, to the sea, and we know that the sea went calm, and that's where we left Jonah, fighting for his life in the ocean. So let's just begin with Jonah 1.17. It says this, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So what we have here is we have God's mercy put on display. He sent a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah lived three nights and three days in the belly of this fish. Now, I've teased about this in the first week of the series, is that here's where a lot of people get hung up in the story of Jonah. They think the story is all about a big fish or a whale, but the story is really about a big God and his deep mercy and what he what links he will go to to pull people back who run from him. So I'll just say it this way. This is what I believe. 
I believe that God created our world, everything we see all around us, touch, feel, smell, experience, I believe that God created all of that from absolutely nothing, was simply his breath and a word. He created from nothing, and he made everything. And I just think, if God can do that, if God can create from nothing, every fish that swims in the sea, every animal that walks on the planet, then he has the power and creativity to bring a huge fish Jonah's way and then keep Jonah alive in that fish for three days and three nights. God can do that. And that's exactly what God did. But not only the fact that God can do it causes me to believe this story, but Jesus himself, he refers to this story, and we're going to look at this at the end of our series together when we talk about the sign of Jonah, but Jesus refers to Jonah in his teaching in his day. And so when he talked about him, he says, Jonah as if he was a real person. So Jesus taught about Jonah. Now, here's one thing that helps me to really believe this, and that's this, that later Jesus went to a cross and he died. He was put into a grave, and then he was resurrected. And when you look at Jesus and you think, here is a man who came and died, put in the grave, and was resurrected, then I think that gives a lot of cred to him for anything he wants to say, right? So if he says Jonah was a real character, I'm going to believe that because Jesus himself believed that. So as we pick up our story, we see that Jonah has hit bottom, literally. He's been trying to run from God, and now God has allowed him to see the futility of his actions and the cost that would come because of his actions. So God now is calling Jonah back to himself. Our God is a relentless God who runs after us with his love, not his anger, his love to show us his mercy. So I want to consider Jonah's story for just a couple of minutes, make three observations, and this is where I was amazed. These three observations are the same things I would say today if I were in a different message about how we face the times we live in. What do we do? Where do we turn? How do we live? I think Jonah shows us what to do when we hit bottom. First observation is this. When you've hit bottom, look up to God. So you're as low as you can go. There's only one place to look, and that's up. And so look up to God. So this is what it says in verse 1, chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. So he's in the fish. And so now he's going to finally look to God. While he was on the boat, the sailors looked to God. They worshiped him. And now Jonah has come to the place where at the bottom... He's saying, I'm going to look up and talk to God. So what scholars believe is at some point after we're going to look at in just a few moments when the fish spits Jonah out on the beach, that Jonah recorded the details of his time inside the fish, and that's why we have this story. In fact, the book of Jonah, the entire book is Jonah's journal of what happened, and it's very self-effacing. It's very real as he talks about who he was and how he related to God. And Jonah hit bottom, and he finally did what he'd been doing all of his life. All of his life, he's been talking to God. All of his life, he's been talking for God. And he finally does what he's been doing all this time. He looks to God and looks to him for help. 
So one of the things that I learned this week is that a lot of Jonah chapter 2, are, if you study it deeply, not time to do this in our time together today, are references to the Psalms. And so he's actually, in Jonah chapter 2, as he's talking here, he's reciting God's word back to himself. He's talking to God about the truth, the reality, about what God has said. In fact, one of those might have been Psalm 121, where Psalm the psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And that's what Jonah did, and that's what we can do right now, folks. It looks desperate. It looks crazy. We don't know what to do. We're not sure where to turn. We're not sure what tomorrow's going to bring because every day brings a new restriction or a new instruction. And what you and I can do right now is that we can lift our eyes and we look to the God who's there for us. We can place our trust in him. And so Jonah now, in desperation, and I think that would be where some of us might be, in desperation, he did what he'd been doing his entire life. He looked up to God. I had Mark read this verse to us earlier in a host section. The psalmist writes, I am praying to you because I know you will answer, O God. And then he says this. He says, bend down and listen as I pray. So as Jonah's looking up, he's asking God to look down. As he's calling out, he's asking God to listen. And that takes us to our next idea. What do you do when you hit bottom? The next idea is you cry out to God. So you look up to God and you cry out to him. You pray to him in desperation. You pray to him from the depths of your heart. You pray to him in faith. You turn to him because you know that he is the source of life. This is the principle that's good every time we find ourselves in over our head. Like right now, look up to God. What does God say? And cry out to him. Take your worries and your anxieties and your concerns to him. This is what Jonah said. He says, in my distress, in my distress, I called out to God. So get this, okay? Jonah's inside a fish, right? He's inside a fish. And so you can't imagine this is a very nice place to be. And I know that any time I got a fish, that it's pretty odorous, okay? It's strong, and it's, this can't be a pleasant experience for him. He's been thrown in the ocean. A big fish swallows him, and now it's carrying him through the sea. So it's no surprise that he finally prayed, right? It's no surprise that he's feeling distress at this point. And I just want to say this for you. It's never too late to pray. It's never too late to pray. God's eager to hear you. He's eager to hear your voice. He's eager to talk to you. He's eager to be with you. See, things may be complicated around you. Things may be difficult, and they may get worse, and they may get harder, but it's never too late to pray. And because he had waited so long to pray, and this is where some of you might be today, his prayer was one of distress. It was one of angst. It was an intense prayer that he cried out to God. And I just think, isn't it amazing that now 2,700 years later, we still do the same thing that Jonah did? People from every nation, people from every tribe, 
still call out to the Lord in our distress. I don't know if you're aware of this, but today has been called the National Day of Prayer for our nation and hopefully for the world. That people who love God and follow him will come before him and will pray for God's intervention in what is going on in our world through the coronavirus infection as it impacts all of our culture. In our distress, we've been called to call out to God in prayer. Here's what I'm, I'm kind of believing this. I'm believing that prayers that will be prayed today are much more intense this weekend than prayers were prayed in the 1st of January. As we heard about the coronavirus, like coronavirus, yeah, just laugh it off and something else is going to come. But now we see how it's impacting us and we see some of the devastation and we see some of the hopelessness and we're worried. We're worried. We're worried and asking God if he will work for us. I mean, who could have imagined, folks, two months ago that we would have been praying to God and asking him for toilet paper? Who could have imagined that that would be our reality. I mean, it's like aliens have taken over and wiped our minds clean, right? <laughs> well, let's go on. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. So he's saying, in my distress, I called out to God and he was there for me. He answered me. Isn't that comforting to know? Isn't it comforting to know that we get to call on the God of the universe, the one who created all things, the one who sustains all things, and that he listens to every single one of our prayers, that he is right there with us? I just think that's a great word of hope, folks, as we can lean into him. God sees us. God leans down close to us. God listens to us, and he answers because he cares, because he loves. Now, when we call out to God, one thing we need to be clear about is that when we call out to him, God's not a punitive God. He's not an angry God. He's not like up there in heaven, you know, with his arms crossed. He goes, oh, yeah, sure, call out to me now when things are rough. That's not God at all. No, he's leaning in just like a dad would for his child, saying, oh, I've been waiting for you to call out for my voice. I've been waiting for my help. I've been waiting for you. And he leans into that because he is a loving father. He's not punitive. Instead, he's merciful. His mercy is more. He goes on and says this and talks quite a bit about what it was like when he was thrown overboard and then he was in the belly of the fish and what he was feeling it's pretty angsty stuff that he was feeling. He's, you hurled me. Now, did God hurl Jonah? No. Who hurled Jonah? The sailors. But Jonah knew at this point that God's in charge of all things that are happening right here. So he's, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers, they swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. He said, right now, I'm looking to you, God. I'm looking to you for help. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. 
We'll stop there. That word down is a very important word in the book of Jonah, especially during this section. It's used several times, and I think it helps us to see into the reality of what Jonah was experiencing and how you and I can relate to it as well. From the very moment that Jonah got up and ran from God, his life began to go downhill. I think some of you can relate to that. That you started running from God and your life started going downhill and you've still not turned back and it's still going downhill. Listen to what, how it was used about Jonah. It says Jonah went down to Joppa. It says that Jonah went down into the hole of the ship and that he lay down to sleep. It says that Jonah was thrown down into the sea. He went down into the belly of a fish. He went down into the deep. He went down into the pit. And folks, I just say, this is what running from God gets us. It's a downward spiral into stress and anxiety and in some cases, calamity. And the word of warning is this. When we run from God, he will let us live with the consequences of our choices. When we run from God, we end up living in a downhill trajectory. So God allows us to go down so that when we are down, he allows it, that we will look up and that we will cry out to him for his mercy, for his grace. And he goes on and says this, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. So Jonah's saying this. He's saying, God, I know you're the one that sent the storm. I know that you're the one who had me thrown into the sea. I know that you're the one who provided the fish. And Jonah realizes that even though things look bleak, even though things look difficult, that God is still in control. He's still in charge, charge of his circumstances, and he has hope. And he's realizing God's been in charge the entire time. And so now what Jonah does is he cries out to God in prayer, cries out to him in prayer. I read this from John Ortberg this week. He was talking about prayer, specifically about Jonah. And he says this, have you ever been in over your head in life? Well, pray. Is it your own fault? Pray anyway. Have you not been living the kind of life you think God wants you to live? Pray anyway. God is never more than a prayer away. One of the amazing things about God is that he is a gracious God. When we come to him simply because we've hit bottom with no place else to go, God still chooses to say, come to me. So just know God hears our desperate cries for help. God answers our prayers when our circumstances seem impossible. God answers our prayers even when we think it's too late. God answers our prayers even when we've hit bottom and we can't see any way out. God is waiting for us to look up to him and to cry out to him. That's what he wants from us. And he allows our circumstances to bring us back to him. I put a verse in here that I want to read to us that I think is very clear and will help us because sometimes we don't see God's answers right away. Look at what it says in Isaiah 30. It says, so the Lord must wait. There's a lot of um, instruction here about how we should pray, why we should pray, because the Lord's waiting on us to pray to him. 
He's waiting on us to talk to him so he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for his help. O people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. You will be gracious if you ask for help. He will surely respond to the sound of your cries. I just want to encourage you. We're going to end our time together today with a moment where we can cry out to God. He's waiting to hear from you so that he can respond with compassion and love is what the writer of Isaiah said. Okay, last idea is this. When you've hit bottom, bend down to God. Look up to God, cry out to God. Now bend down to God in worship. Bend down to God in humility. Verse 2, 8 and 9 and 10, but 2, 8 specifically says this. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. So there's a way we can bend that's not to God. We can bend inward on ourselves, or we can bend toward idols that we think are going to give us meaning and purpose in life. We can bend toward idols. So a worthless idol, what is that? Well, a worthless idol is whatever you're giving your life to that is coming between you and God, that is the most important to you. It's anything that you love more than God, more than him. See, we're not as familiar with idols in our day because we don't really have, you know, carven images in our homes or made out of metal, those kinds of things that we would look at that we would say we worship those because of what they're going to do for us or get for us. But if you dig into this a little bit, you'll find that an idol is anything you look toward, look to for your fulfillment apart from God. Anything you look to for your fulfillment apart from God. Martin Luther, I quoted him at the very start of our time together. He said this about idols. To whatever we look for any good thing and for refuge in every need, that is what is meant by God. To whatever you give your heart and entrust your being, that, I say, is really your God. That's really sobering. But another theologian, great theologian, Bob Dylan, this is what he had to say. But you're going to have to serve somebody, yes. Indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Bob Dylan had it down. He knew exactly what we're talking about, about idols. You will serve God or you will serve something else. Worthless idols. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about the coronavirus reality that we're facing right now. I thought, you know what? This is going to be a chance. This is going to be an opportunity for the world, not just a segment of the world, but for the world to discover what we've been looking to for our comfort, for our meaning. We've been looking to our possessions. We've been looking to prosperity. And we've been living in smugness, thinking that you know, with our scientific advancements and our wisdom and our knowledge that we've been able to accomplish all of these things, and we've been getting our security, and we've been getting our identity from this, could it be that we're going to look at things that we thought were important and realize that they've been idols that aren't from God, that are actually keeping us from God? Worthless, not able to hold us up when we hit bottom. I just think in this season, some of us may discover we have some idols we didn't know we had. So here's a word of warning. You might write this down somewhere as you're listening to me. Psalm 16, 4. It says this, 
Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. God's call is that we come to him. We bend a knee to him and we worship him and place him first. And whenever we allow anything or any other person to come before God, it's always going to be less than God's best for us. So Jonah now makes a declaration of faith at the end of this time. He says this, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, I will bend myself before you. And God, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. We don't know what that means exactly, but we're going to see in chapter 3 that things do change, and he does what God called him to do from the beginning. I will make good. And then he says, salvation comes from the Lord. So what Jonah is doing here is he is literally bending a knee before God. He's worshiping God. He's praising God. He's expressing gratitude from, to God for all that God is and all that God has done. He's acknowledging that God is his salvation. I mean, he's inside a fish for crying out loud. What can he do to get out of a fish? His stomach. He can't do anything. Only God can save him. And he knew that applied to all of life. And he wanted all who read the words of his journal to know that he chose to bend a knee and in humility and worship his God. And then the last verse says this, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I love the picture that we shared of this fish and the painting of the fish and Jonah being spit out. You can see the spit just going out of this fish's mouth as he's being spit out onto the shore there. It's just a beautiful picture of actually what happened at that moment. Here's what I want us to do for a moment. I want us to just take one step before we pray into chapter 3. Just one tiny step today. Chapter 3 is we're going to pick up next week, and we're going to look at chapter 3. It's an amazing story of a turnaround, and I just want to read verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I love that. That's one of the most encouraging verses in the entire Bible to me. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. After the running that Jonah had done, after he turned his back on God in such a blatant way, guess what happened? The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And this is just a, such a pic, great picture of God's deep mercy that he has for us. We have a God who is the God of second chances. I would just say multiple chances. That's our God. His mercy is more. No matter how far you've run from God, he has still has a plan and a purpose for your life. And so I just want to say, will you take a step toward him? Once again, I want to read from John Ortberg. He says this, redeeming is what God is into. He is the finder of directionally challenged sheep, the searcher of missing coins, the embracer of foolish prodigal sons. He, his favorite department is lost and found. And that's where most of us would be. And I'm just so glad that God is in the life-changing business. God allows circumstances in our lives to bring us back to him. He wants us to get, an get another chance to get it right. So I just want to take a few moments right now. Would you, if you could, bow your heads where you are. And just in your soul, would you just take this moment and say, God, I feel like I'm at the bottom. And would you just look up to God 
God's there. He's leaning down for you right now. There's not a look of anger on his face, disappointment, or disgust. There's a look of compassionate love on his face right now. He's been waiting for you to look up to him. Would you cry out to him? Maybe if you're alone, you could actually cry out loud, loud, wail if you need to. Would you just take a moment and say, God, I'm going to cry out to you. I'm in distress. I need you, God. Here's where I need you to work. Please work in this way. And lastly, I just want to say, would you be willing to bend a knee before God? That's what Jonah had to do. He bent the knee. He humbled himself. He declared that God was God and he wasn't. And he humbled himself and leaned into God and worshiped him. You know what he did? He did something we can all do, which I would highly recommend as we finish out this day. He started speaking to God about what he was grateful for. He made a gratitude list. And I think there's nothing better we can do in these times that we're in right now, but to focus on what we have instead of what we don't have. Focus on what God is doing instead of what we see around us. To have a moment where we express our gratitude to him. God, I just thank you so much for the opportunity we've had to hear from you from Jonah chapter 2 today. And I pray that you would help us as we learn how to turn to you when we hit bottom. And God, there may be somebody watching today who's never said yes to Jesus Christ. I would be remiss if I didn't give you that chance right now. When Jesus went to the cross, it was for you. When he died, it was for you. When he was resurrected, it was to give you life. Would you say yes to that? Say, Jesus, as much as I understand it, I say yes to you. I want to receive your life into my life. I want to know you. I want to know the Father and his love through you. I thank you, Jesus. I want to follow you for the rest of my days. And God, we just thank you so much that even in times like this, when things are difficult, that we can still have access to you through technology and through the servants of Twin Cities Church. And I just thank you for the tech teams that we have, the music teams that we have, and all that's been made available today so that we could have this experience with you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.